This is the BSing with Sean K podcast. I'm your host, Sean Nice, and today my guest is Yasmin Muhammad. She's an author, an activist, and the co host of the Secular Jihadist podcast. And she has a blog, Confessions of an Ex Muslim. And she talks about uh, being an ex Muslim atheist, and she's also working on uh, a book from Al Qaeda to Atheism. So thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Sean. Yeah, of course. And um, I guess for people who aren't familiar with you and uh, your story and everything, uh, I guess just introduce yourself and tell us uh, about who you are and uh, I guess how your beliefs developed and everything. Sure. Uh, So I was born and raised in Canada and um, my mom is from a pretty secular family in Egypt. But... um, she, when her, her and my dad got married, they were living in San Francisco and then they moved to Canada to Vancouver and their marriage fell apart soon after. So my mom ended up with three kids and she was all by herself in this new country and everything. And so she started looking for a support system and <clears throat> she went looking in the mosque because that's where, um, she thought she'd find a community of, of other Arabs. And she ended up finding some very conservative people. And one of the people that she found uh, was a man that was already married and had three kids, but he offered to marry her as well. So his second concurrent wife, because a Muslim man can have up to four wives. And he married her, but... Then he started to demand all these things of her and of us. So um, he demanded that she start to cover her hair and dress differently. And he broke all of our records because now music was forbidden. And he wouldn't allow us to play with any non-Muslim kids anymore, which basically meant we couldn't play with anybody because everybody around us was non-Muslim. And... Um, I, as a girl, was no longer allowed to ride bikes anymore. I wasn't allowed to swim anymore. You know, basically, he just came and ruined our lives. And uh, we started going to Islamic schools. And then this was just the new, my new life. Like, I just had to get used to it. And um, I had to memorize Learning, like being a good Muslim means memorizing the Quran. So it's not about actually learning or understanding what it says, but it's just regurgitating it. So um, from the age of five or six, when he first entered our lives, it was all about memorizing this Quran and praying five times a day. That's what took up most of the day, any time that we weren't at school. And, um, you know, we'd be punished very harshly if we didn't do that or if we made mistakes and uh, we went to Islamic schools and so I started 
the hijab was put on me at the age of nine years old. So the hijab is the, the head covering, but also you cover everything except for your face and hands is the, was the rule. And uh, then when I was about 19 years old, I was sat down and told that I was to marry this man who was chosen for me. And uh, it turns out that he was a jihadi. He'd come from Afghanistan. He's Egyptian, but he was in Afghanistan with, uh, with bin Laden. And he came to Canada to help with the with the 9-11 effort. And so I didn't know any of this until I was contacted by CSIS, who were the Canadian CIA. And they let me know who I was married to. And so then I, I had a daughter by then with him. So then it was all about trying to get away from him and, you know, trying to save my daughter from having a life that's even worse than the life I had lived. And, so I got away from him, and then once I found out, I got away from him, went, lived with my mom again. But then once I found out that he was in prison in Egypt, I felt safe to also get away from my mom. And so my daughter and I moved, and I started going to university. And in university is where I took a history of religions course, and in that course is where I discovered that the Quran is not the literal word of God. It's actually just plagiarized. And I was very surprised to learn that I had been following <clears throat> a lie all these years and allowing that lie to cause so much damage to me and my daughter because I was so scared of, of you know, not listening, of, of, of in any way questioning or, or pushing back. So I just accepted everything. So to find out that it was all a lie was great news. But then, of course, it took many years for the brainwashing and everything to subside enough for me to start to enjoy my life. And, you know, because even though you cognitively understand this isn't true, you it's still so ingrained in you. So you still have, you know. And we a lot of having, stuff to work through. Were you already having doubts about it beforehand? or I never did. I, I didn't like it. I was unhappy, but I felt like I had no choice because that's just the way the creator of the universe wants it to be. So who am I to question it or complain or, or push back? Um, but it wasn't until I took this course that, like, under realizing that this wasn't the absolute truth was, was a real shock. It's like, it never crossed my mind before. And so I, was your family, you, you mentioned they were looking for, I guess, a belonging of some sort in Canada, or you said your mother was in, mm -hmm. in Canada. How did that, uh, I guess, influence like how you, you viewed yourself, how you, I guess, related to the world around you in Canada, like what kind of uh, effect did that have on you growing up uh, in that culture and then also in Canada and I guess uh, the differences between the two cultures? Well, even though I was living in Canada, I was actually living like a like in a little mini Sharia bubble. So 
it's it's similar to people who are um, who grew up in Hasidic Jewish communities or very conservative uh, Mormon families or Jehovah's Witness or Westboro Baptist, like any of those very conservative religious groups. You live amongst other people, but you you don't. You're you're living separately. So I could see everything that was happening all around me, but I didn't. It didn't. It wasn't my life. So I always felt different. And, um, yeah, so quite often I would look at people living outside my bubble and think about how lucky they were. But then it's also clouded with this, you know, you're going to, they're all going to burn in hell too. So you're always being told how lucky you are, that you were born Muslim and that you you know, that you have the the true answer and that you're going to go to heaven if you don't mess up, like if you follow the rules. Whereas everybody else, those poor dears, they're all going to burn in hell. So, yeah, it was very us and them all the time. My mom was adamant. Like, she'd get very, very angry if we ever befriended anybody that wasn't Muslim. So that was a huge no-no. And what was it like when you first left, like, uh, as far as uh, with family and everything else? Well, it was it was pretty swift because um, I was breaking the rules. Girls aren't allowed to live on their own. A, a girl goes from her husband, from her father's house to her husband's house. That's it. So any girl, any woman that lives on her own is just basically a horse, slut, et cetera, et cetera. So it was incredibly shameful I mean first of all me divorcing him was shameful that that was I brought dishonor onto my family because in Islam a woman doesn't divorce her husband a husband divorces the woman so if a divorce happens it's because the woman was discarded by the man basically so that's why it's a very shameful thing for the woman's family when when a divorce happens so even though technically I was the one that initiated the divorce, it doesn't matter because that's just the way that it's viewed in that society. So for a girl to be divorced is like a, a shameful thing, not just for her, but for her whole family. So that was the first layer. And then I went ahead and moved out on my own, too. And then it was like, oh, my God. And then my mom saw me without the hijab on because I had taken off my hijab when I was going through my you know, my unraveling of the Islamic faith. And I hadn't actually, like, I hadn't decided that I wasn't a Muslim anymore, but I had decided I didn't want to wear this thing anymore. Finally, I want to take this off. It had been put on me, like, you know, for 20 years, and I didn't want to wear it anymore. And when she just saw me without it on, she got so enraged and was... She basically said, you know, this is the first step towards you becoming an apostate and I will have you killed. There's no way I'm having a child of mine be um, a non-believer, a Catholic. So I'll make sure that you're that you that you die before that happens, because she's she's looking out for her own self, her own soul kind of thing. You know, if she. I guess failed so miserably that she 
couldn't raise her daughter to be good Muslim, but instead raised her daughter to be a non-believer, then that's on her. So she's like, I'm not going to risk my own afterlife for you. So I'll make sure you're dead before you leave Islam. So we didn't really, I didn't interact with her at all after that. I just took my daughter and we never contacted her again. So that was, that was that. So would you say less conservative Muslim families are looking at different parts of the Quran than uh, are choosing to avoid certain parts, or maybe they just have a different interpretation of the Quran? Or... I think that, I mean, there's, there, the text is very clear about what it says. So some people just are more, um, they're more willing to just ignore some parts of the text that they don't want to, they don't want to do like there. I mean, there's a lot like the, 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 we know we're Muslims know they're supposed to pray five times a day, but quite often they don't because it takes up a lot of your day to pray five times a day. Um, and each time can take up to like 20 minutes or so. And, and there's like this actually it could take longer because there's this whole washing up process beforehand and blah, blah, blah. So, um, even though they know they're supposed to do it, they're not doing it. And then they'll just feel guilt about it or something. So if there is a, there could be families, not like my mom's that said, okay, that's it. You know, you're going to be killed. There would be other families that, that understand that know that a non-Muslim should be killed or that a person who leaves a son should be killed, but they'll justify it in their own head by saying something like, well, if I'm good to my child, maybe they'll come back to Islam. So there's no need for me to take it that far yet. So they'll, you know what I mean? They'll, they'll sort of make concessions in their own mind. So people are, Muslims are not nearly as bad as Islam is. I mean, most Muslims don't follow their religion properly. Which a lot which of is it's a, just tradition or like that, that's how they were raised and they don't necessarily believe it, but it's sort of like, I guess like how yeah. a lot of people are Catholic, but don't necessarily believe in a lot of the things is just tradition or well, it's, it's also just ignorance too, because most Muslims don't even understand Arabic. They don't even, they're not even Arabic speakers. Only like 15% of Muslims are, are, are Arabic speakers. So if you think of that number only, just 15% of them actually understand what they're saying when they pray. There's that. And then within that 15%, a good chunk of those don't actually learn their religion properly either they don't actually read the quran they don't read the hadith they don't learn about the life of the prophet in muslim majority countries all of that stuff is taught in schools so they would they would know all that stuff because it's being taught to them but in in the west here unless you're going to an islamic school like i was chances are you're probably just unaware of what your religion is is teaching so is there um like uh, a place for ex-Muslims to speak publicly now or like is there are they listened to or is that uh Oh no I I don't I don't think that they are at all. <laughs> it's quite frustrating actually because uh the opposite is happening. It's it's the conservative Muslims that are being listened to. You know, um they're the ones that are that are getting the the microphones. So very recently, we just had the Barbie come out with a hijab on, and hijab is is a conservative religious 
clothing. It's conservative religious clothing for Muslims. And just like there is conservative religious clothing for so many other religions, and there's no confusion, like nobody ever thinks that, you know, that a kippah or Mormon underwear or, um, you know, those those Hasidic Jewish women that have to shave their head and then wear a wig on top or whatever it is, when you see people, even just a Mormon person in a bonnet or a long skirt, you understand that clothing means that this person is identifying themselves as a conservative member of this religion. But when it comes to hijab, all of a sudden people don't get that. Somehow it's different and it's treated differently and they make a Barbie with a hijab on it. Well, you would never make a Barbie in Mormon underwear. Like it's not any different. It's, it's celebrating the conservative religious misogyny really. Um, so no, it's, it's, it's quite frustrating that the liberal open-minded Muslims, ex-Muslims, reformers, people from the Muslim world, basically, who are speaking out, who share the same value systems as people in the West or liberal people in the West. Um, we're the ones that are being ignored and told that we're racist or Islamophobic or, you know, whatever. But the people that really are the antithesis of what these people's values are. So conservative Muslims are way more conservative than any conservative Christian. Even a conservative Baptist wouldn't be nearly as conservative as, as your average conservative Muslim. But somehow liberals are aligning with conservative Muslims. It's mind boggling. It, I just somehow one conservative religious person is okay because that they happen to have darker skin so they're different than that conservative religious person yeah i guess you're uh, you're referring to uh like with the women's march when they were putting on the burqa and everything or yeah that's a very good example yeah having linda sarsour leading that march it's like but hang on a minute you're the same women that are supportive of basic feminist ideals you know so why are you all of a sudden supporting this incredibly like they said no to conservative christians who were pro-life and yet they, they like they wouldn't allow those women to march with them even but they're choosing a muslim conservative muslim to lead the march with them it's like are you like it's just it's just ignorance it's it's very frustrating well i guess i guess what they're thinking is like they're worried about um I guess discrimination towards Muslims happening, I guess, with some of the comments Trump made and everything. And they're trying to show like, oh, hey, we, we accept your right to, religious, uh, right to religious freedom. But then there's also, you know, people like you have been oppressed by, you know, Islam itself. So then I guess I think uh, it was Majid Nawaz and uh, Sarah Hader were talking about like the there's like the difference between like anti-Muslim bigotry and. Uh, like criticizing Islam. And I think you talked about that a bit too. So yeah, like, sort of finding that balance. Yeah. Very, very true. And and I think that they just didn't, they don't realize that there is a balance there. They don't understand. They think that all Muslims are conservatives and that's definitely not true. There are a lot of American liberal Muslims that they could have had in the March with them. 
that shared the same values as they did. Instead of choosing somebody who was a conservative Muslim, that's the problem here, is when you have somebody that supports Sharia law and talks about jihad in America, that's not the kind of person that you want supporting a liberal march, or, or not even supporting, but leading a liberal march. So instead of looking at the ideas that Linda Sarsour holds, they're just looking at her identity and they're saying, oh, she's a Muslim. And in fact, she's super Muslim. She's uber Muslim. So, you know, the more Muslim, the better. Well, no, because that's like saying, you know, the more Christian, the better or or whatever. Like you're not. That's exactly the opposite of, of your belief system. So they're looking at her. They're looking at identities versus ideas. And that's that's where things get broken down is they're not understanding that that Islam is a religion. It's not a culture. It's not a people. And I don't, obviously, nobody wants anybody to be discriminated against, regardless of what their, you know, their sexual orientation or their, or their religious background or their ethnicity or whatever the reason is. Of course, we should all be supporting each other, but we're not going to be, you know, tolerating the intolerant. When there are things that we should be standing up against, we should stand up against them, even the, if the perpetrator happens to have brown skin. It's still wrong, and we should we should speak up against that. I mean, just in the UK now, you've got um, it's uh, Jeremy Corbyn is speaking up in support of female genital mutilation because he's feeling like that's a religious right. Well, no, it's not a religious right. This is where you have to stop and say, okay, I understand that you want to cut off your daughter's clitoris, but that's not allowed in our country. And that you have to have a stop sign. You can't just continue to allow people to do whatever they want to do because it's their religion or because it's their culture or it's because it's their belief. Right is right and wrong is wrong. I mean, if we had groups of people that still believed in human sacrifice right now, would we be okay with that because that's their culture and we have to respect it? Of course not. We have to, where's... We, we have failed to draw any lines and distinguish between respecting human beings and respecting their, you know, religions that they follow or their belief systems or whatever. You know, you have to respect human beings. You do not have to respect beliefs, especially if they're archaic, barbaric, misogynistic, violent beliefs. Hmm. And, and I guess, uh, have you uh, found that? insulting sometimes that maybe that's that you feel that maybe that's all people expect like you can't expect any better from people in the middle east or in islamic culture or like 100 percent. yeah that bigotry of low expectations is there all the time they're all they'll, and the thing is you don't like people in the west don't hear from all of the free thinkers in the muslim world because they are shut down over there they're either killed or they're imprisoned or they're, they're basically they're not getting any kind of platform over there obviously in a in a 90% plus muslim environment anybody that is going to stray from that narrative isn't going to be heard but you'd expect that that person to be amplified over here in the West where our beliefs align. But instead, in the West, we are only seeing and hearing from people like Linda Sarsour or people like that are confirming this narrative that all Muslims are conservative, all Muslims support Sharia, you know, all Muslims basically support ISIS, all of that garbage. I mean, she's supporting terrorism. 
it's Hamas, it's in Palestine, but it's still terrorism. And so then people start to think, oh, okay, well, that's just the way all Muslims are. Well, that's not true. But the ones that aren't like that never get heard. Like you, you mentioned Majid Nawaz. He's a perfect example. Um, in, so he's, you know, how many Majid Nawazes do we know? We know him. That's it. And he's been at this for like 10 years. Well, I guess Malola so, is the most famous, uh, the one who's fighting for edu- girls' education. That's right. Malala Yousafzai. Yeah, she's also in the, in the UK. And that's great. And I hope that we in America or in North America will start to celebrate some open-minded Muslims as well and not just focus on the conservative ones and have them be the dominant voice because they're the ones that we should be linking hands with. We shouldn't be linking hands with people that we disagree with on every level. So you would rather see religion reformed, I guess, rather than just religion go away altogether? Like, it's, I mean, specifically uh, the Islamic religion is what you're saying. Well, I personally would like to see all bad ideas gone forever, but that's not going to happen. Like, I'd love to say, I don't want anyone to be racist or homophobic anymore or, you know, believe in that the earth is flat or whatever it is. But the the truth is people are irrational and people are going to still believe these irrational things. Um, so at least if we can get to the point where people's beliefs are not causing harm, I'm happy. And that's really what reform is all about. They're just saying, like, let's take the the dangerous parts out of Islam and just focus on the positive aspects. Now, being somebody that has studied Islam, and, I mean, you don't even need to be. You can just go on Quran.com and skim through the Quran. You'll see that, you know, 80% of it is all about is, is stuff that you're going to have to cleanse out if you want to just focus on the good parts probably even more than 80%. So um, it's a it's a big job, but all the power to them. Of course, it's a it's a it's an end goal that I support. Um, I can't say that I support all reformers because all reformers are different people. But but I do support individual reformers and I do support the idea of, um, you know, defanging Islam and getting Muslims to be more, you know, less, less violent. But the problem here is that Islam does not have a Pope. Islam does not have a leader. So there's nobody, there's nobody on earth right now that can come forward and tell Muslims, listen, don't believe what's written here in black and white, which is the literal word of your God. Just ignore that and listen to me instead. No, no Muslim is ever going to accept that because they are too afraid that they're going to burn in hell for it. So if God has specifically told them right here in this book what to do, then they'll never disregard that and listen to just an average human being. If we had a pope, but there's no such thing as an Islamic pope, um, and that pope came along and said, okay, guys, we're reforming the religion, and from now on we don't have to kill infidels, from now on, we could be friends with uh, non-Muslims. Then Muslims will be willing to listen to him because or her because they're going to be feeling like, well, at least this person is going to be um, is a religious person. And so if I listen to them, then they're sort of protecting my afterlife. They're, if they tell me what to do and I listen to them, then chances are I, I won't burn in hell. But if it's just an average, you know, Majid is a wonderful guy. 
of course he's a wonderful guy. So is Astro Namani, so is Imam Tahiti, so are all the other reformers. Great people, good hearts, but they won't be listened to because people are going to be too scared to listen to a human over the word of Allah. So would you like to see, I guess, more liberal-minded people, uh, I guess, get in, be more critical of Islam? Uh, because I think Sam Harris mentioned something like uh, the, the Christian right, you know, being the ones to address it instead. And they, they have a lot of, you know, misogynists and homophobic ideas themselves. But the, but um, so so what, do you think uh, like more liberals should take a different approach to this or? Yeah, I totally agree. And when the Christian right speaks up against Islam, it's almost um, being hypocritical because the Christian right is not nearly as conservative as the Muslim right, but it is still full of stuff that you and I would disagree with. But yeah, I agree. Liberals should be supporting liberals. If you, I, I think that we should be looking at people's ideas and not their identities. So if we look at a person, we talk to a person, we understand who they are, we see how they act, we hear what they say, and then we decide whether we want to ally with this person or not based on that. We don't just look at their identity, at their skin color, or if their name is something, you know, uh, ethnic. <laughs> And interesting and then decide like, oh, okay, I'm going to I'm going to ally with this person. So that's that's where that's where the problems happen. Yeah, I definitely agree. All liberals, regardless of race or whatever, should be supporting each other. Yeah, I guess it's just the way things are polarized now. People can't, uh, I guess, look at anything that doesn't fit, I guess, with their side. And I guess um, people associate more like the the criticizing islam or muslims all that is you know right wing uh, and that's the problem yeah yeah that is true that's what's happening they're leaving it to the right and if you're going to leave it to the right wing then then you can't have no control over what how the right wing is going to deal with this problem and that's not good news for me right that's not good news for a lot of us most ex-muslims it doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, we have Muslim sounding names and we have Muslim looking skin. So if there's going to be discrimination going on, like if, it, if it's going to be like a far right wing group that's going to have to take care of this Muslim problem, that's going to put us in a very difficult position. You know, we're going to be in this in the same boat as jihadis and everybody else. So nobody wants that. You know, we that's why we're the loudest people calling out can you can people on the left please wake up because we need you guys to stand with us against fundamentalist Islam because as long as you guys are capitulating and allowing fundamentalist Islam to keep growing larger and larger everywhere I look there's hijabis like on on magazines and on in advertisements or any store that I go to the big you know uh, posters up on the wall like it's as long as that keeps on happening, as long as we keep on getting confused and not understanding the difference between a people and a religion, then we're leaving it to the right wing to get frustrated, irritated. People that are in the middle are going to move to the right wing because they're going to that's where they're going to find support. People are scared. People are. I understand that people are scared. Of course, they're scared. There's random trucks ramming into innocent people every day or, you know, in the UK, you've got like all of the, the, the girls that were killed in the 
in the Ariana Grande concert, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I don't need to list them out. You know how things like that are happening all the time in the West, but of course, every day throughout the world. Um, so people are, are afraid. And Ali Rizvi, who's my co-host in the Secular Jihadist podcast, gave a really good analogy where he said, if the house is on fire and you know the house is on fire, and you're looking around you and people are like, oh, no, but it's beautiful fire. We have to respect it. It's glorious, you know. And But then you have one person. He may be a crazy person, but he's got the only door open. And he's saying, yeah, there's a fire. Jump out this, you know, come with me. Let's go out this door. You're going to go. Even if you don't trust where that door is leading, at least it's better than sitting here with these people that are living in La La Land insisting that the place isn't burning down. And he gave that analogy to describe why so many people voted for Trump. Because you had Obama and Hillary talking about Islam as the religion of peace and 99.9% of Muslims are peaceful people, et cetera, et cetera. And people know that's not true because they know how to read. And so they're aware of what's going on in the world. And so when they hear basically lies coming from the Democratic Party, they're like, fine, I guess I'm voting Republican then, even though they didn't like Trump. <laughs> and most of these people were lifetime Democrats. And quite a few of them voted for Obama twice in a row. And then they, for the third time, they went and voted for Trump. And what explains it, well, one of the reasons that could explain it is that Trump was the only one that was speaking about this problem. Now, of course, he's speaking about it too strongly, you know, like he's talking about, um, you know, banning all Muslims and talking about um, what's the word? Um, Muslim family, like families of terrorists. Yeah. You know, yeah. And all mm -hmm. of that stuff. So, of course, he's not overboard. But at least like I guess people that are so scared are like, well, I'd rather go with the guy that's going overboard than with the, the, the group that is totally clueless about what's going on. And so, yeah, we want the right, we want the left to speak up with us so that we don't leave it to the right to do whatever the fuck they want, because that's scary. Nobody wants that. Yeah. And um, I, I've heard a lot of people on the right say, t mention uh, like not using that Obama wasn't using the term uh, radical Islamic terrorism or was that an, an issue with you or like whether they use that term or. I mean, it came down to semantics in the end, but it didn't even really matter because, I mean, Hillary said something really stupid, too. Once she said radical jihadis, which is like, what's a moderate jihadi, Hillary? Like, people are, people are just so scared to speak the truth that they end up just adding all of these little euphemisms. <clears throat> and, you know, whether you say, you know, radical Islamic or radical Islamist or whatever, radical Islamism. I don't care what term, you know, like that's just, now we're just playing political games, but you know, it needs to be said. Yes. It needs to be said that this is Islamic terrorism. That's what it is. And yeah, he, he not only wasn't willing to say it, but he was saying the opposite too. He was saying this has nothing to do with Islam and that's just a complete lie. And that comes again I love Obama. I think he's a great person with a good heart, but I think he totally fucked up on the Islam issue, like like majorly. And the reason why he messed up so badly was because who was he going to to get support and to get advice? The Muslim Brotherhood. 
a group that are that are deemed a terrorist organization by almost every Muslim majority country. He goes to them and he says, hey, guys, how do you think how should we deal with this problem? So, of course, all of the information that he's getting is information that's going to help them. And and that's why he ended up supporting all ISIS, basically. He's the one that's why all of this stuff got out of control was because he just was misinformed about that that whole situation. And that brings me back to why is a, a Democrat liberal president speaking to people that are far right conservatives that are considered terrorists in their own homes? Like that, it's not that difficult. I feel like it really is not that difficult that you could have at that point said, I'd like to speak to liberal Muslims, please. I don't want to speak to conservative Muslims. And those are the ones that you should be that you should be getting your advice from. Yeah. And then a lot of people like to praise Trump on that issue, but he also gave a whole bunch of arms to Saudi Arabia. Oh, yeah. The whole the thing is, is Saudi Arabia has the whole world by the short and curlies for and they will for a while until we start to learn how to be less reliant on their oil. But, yeah, I mean, Trump, just like all the other presidents before him, what did he do when he went to Saudi Arabia? Sword dancing with them, talking about how great, wonderful they are. Yeah. So he was full of hot air, too. But at the end of the day, you kind of understand that American presidents have to do that because Saudi Arabia is so powerful right now. Um, so. Sort of like a business, I guess. Um, it is. It is a business. Yeah. That's what he's all about, right? Like didn't the Saudi Arabians made a deal with his daughter for something, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's all about money in the end. Whoever like compliments his hair. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's one guy that has complimented his hair once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, have you faced much bigotry like from the far right? I, I know it's a little different in Canada. Like, hmm. Not, you know, not nearly as much as I get from the far left. So I know the far right exists and I have like the very first time I got a message from somebody from the far right, I actually responded with, wow, you guys are real. Like you do exist. I never thought I'd actually bump into one of you. So yeah, every now and then um, I do get messages, but they're very, very sort of just like almost caveman type messages, you know, like they're not the kind of thing that's going to bother me. It's, it's, it's coming from a place of somebody who, um, probably has never even interacted with a Muslim or an ex-Muslim in their lives. and Like an isolated rule area or something like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that. Or maybe, you know, like I just, I kind of, it doesn't, they don't, they don't really bother me. I mean, they're not, they're not big enough of a problem for us to be, or for me to be concerned with. They are a problem. Of course they're a problem. Like, Nobody wants neo-Nazis or racists running around like, you know, we're aware we're aware that that's a problem. And and we generally, you know, or we're not we generally we definitely try to keep them um, as, you know, as nonviolent as we possibly can. But what I do get is a lot of people from the left, a lot of bigotry from that direction, which is a lot more frustrating to me because when it's somebody from the far right, I feel like they're, they're kind of 
maybe they're uneducated or maybe they're they just they just don't know any better. That's that's the sense that I get from somebody on the far right that contacts me. But somebody from the far left is usually speaking with nuance and using terminology that makes me believe that they're that they've actually thought of things or that they're trying their best to do the right thing. But then they're so off base that it is like maddening because I feel like if you are intelligent enough to string that sentence together, then how are you unable to see the incredible hypocrisy in that sentence? Do you know what I mean? So it's it's much more frustrating when it comes from from somebody on the left who thinks that they're doing the right thing, but is actually doing the much more harm than good. So they think you're promoting bigotry towards Isl- uh, towards uh, Muslims. Is that it? Yeah, I get that all the time. And it's just a, I think it's just a knee jerk reaction. They're just like, protect the minorities and Muslims are minorities. and We must protect them. And they don't even think about, OK, who? What, what is the situation that's going on right now? So it's, they just need to think it through a little bit more. It, it, and also, we had this whole thing of political correctness that happened where we had to, it, it's a good thing. Like it started as a good thing where it was like you don't um, criticize minority groups or you don't criticize other cultures. What they do is their business and how they do it is their business. and you know, we shouldn't think that we're better than them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of that stuff is fine and dandy and great and coming from a good place. But what happened is it just went on steroids. It just went too far. And so, you know, if one person is eating chicken feet or eating dog and another person is eating chicken or fish, then you can't sit there and be like, ew, chicken feet are gross. Dog is gross. You know, fish, chicken, you guys are okay. Because now you're just making a judgment on based on something that is really none of your business and it's just personal choice and blah, blah, blah. But if you have people in front of you and one person is saying, yeah, my sister can have sex with whoever she wants to have sex with. It's her business. And another person saying, if my sister isn't a virgin, I'm going to kill her. Well, now you have the right to speak up. You see, now it's not just about personal choice and cultural differences and whatever. Now it's like one is actually wrong. So now you can speak up against it. So I think that's what happened is people just didn't, they just didn't, they just took it too far and they didn't know when to stop and to say, well, even though you are of a different culture, even though you are of a different religion, I'm still going to speak up over against what you're doing because it's wrong. And if, a, if, a, again, in, in the UK, there is a case of female genital mutilation once every hour. Once every hour in the UK. That's an unbelievable statistic. Yet nobody, nobody has ever been prosecuted for doing this to their little girl. But if a blonde haired, blue eyed mother decided that she wanted to gouge out her daughter's clitoris, that woman would go to prison. So do you consider yourself a feminist or like what's your... Yes, definitely. I know that the word feminism has taken on a different meaning and the word liberalism has taken on a different meaning, too. But I don't care. I'm still going to call myself a feminist and I'm still going to call myself a liberal. And I believe that the crazies that have taken both of those terms too far 
are going to like, we are going to outlive them. I feel like the real feminists and the real liberals, we're just going to stick to our guns and, you know, these guys can't last. They're, they're turning on themselves already because their ideology is so ridiculous that it won't, it will not be, it, it cannot be sustained. So would you say that all the issues for women are now in uh, Islamic countries or is there still some problems in the West or would you say? That- oh. oh, yeah, definitely. There are still problems in the West. There are still problems all over the world. Most definitely. Yeah, there, uh, there's no question about that. But it's about degrees. It's a very big, you know, we're talking about a, a spectrum here. And in some areas, things are a lot better than they are in other areas. You know, Iceland have got it a lot better than than we do in, in Canada and Saudi Arabia have it way worse than we do here, you know? So it's all relative, I guess. That's right. Yeah. Um, so what, what do you think would be a way to get more people on the left to listen, I guess, to this? <sighs> That's the... That's the million dollar question, Sean. <laughs> I would I would love to know the answer to that question. Yeah. I mean I'm having you on this show, maybe that does I don't know. <laughs> yeah, hopefully some of your listeners who were hardcore in the uh let's support Muslims regardless crowd are starting to question what they're saying because when they say that I think a lot of them also just don't know what it is that they're saying. They're just wanting to support minorities, but, and that's a good thing, but it's not just about supporting somebody because of their skin color. It's, you have to make sure that what that person is doing or saying is not something that you are against. Judging them by the content of their character, I guess. So really the MLK way. (laughs) exactly back to basics right like back to the core of what it means to be a a liberal yeah and um i guess real quickly like what can you say about your book of memoirs you're working on and uh your blog and what you post on there so uh my book of memoirs hopefully should be out by next month it's um it's called From Al-Qaeda to Atheism, and on my website right now, confessionsofanexmuslim.com, I've got some chapters that I've left up there to give people sort of a an, an idea of what is in the book, and I've got also links to different interviews I've done, and I've got also a link to a campaign that I've that I'm doing right now called free hearts, free minds. So I get contacted by ex Muslims across the world all the time, asking me for help and I can't help everybody. And quite often a lot of these people can't leave the country that they're living in. So what I've done is I've been able to get them in contact with an ex Muslim uh, mental health practitioner who is going who supports them in getting up on their own two feet and and finding the strength to deal with the fact that they don't believe in this religion anymore. And to go through that whole process, you have to go through it so quietly. And and so it's so very, very terrifying to go through that in Islamic country where you could be killed if, if they find out. So um, this is just an opportunity for them to have a, 
a Skype call with a counselor and have some release. So I've got that program and, uh, yeah, working with the Richard Dawkins Foundation, helping some people get out of Saudi Arabia. And it's, it's, it's a pro, like there's, there's a lot, a lot of people that, that need help and, um, they can contact me through that website. And if you want to support those people, then you can also go on my website as well and you'll find a GoFundMe page there. That's uh, confessions of an ex Muslim.com. That's right. Yeah. And if you have any listeners in Australia or New Zealand, I'll be going in March with Majid Nawaz and Ali Rizvi and the three of us will be speaking about Islam and the future of tolerance, which is a book written by Sam Harris and Majid Nawaz. And there is a documentary that was made based on that book by Jay Shapiro. And so the three of us will be going around talking about uh, the ideas in the book and in the documentary. Cool. And uh, you could also catch uh, Yasmin on the Secular Jihadist podcast, which is uh, it's a pretty good podcast. I've listened to it like a few times. And uh, I guess this is the Secular BSing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, well, I, I uh, remember one episode they were talking about like how they everybody on that show kind of has like uh, different political beliefs, but like you feel like uh, people will assume you'll have a certain set of beliefs or you'll have like a more liberal belief uh, based on your background. Is that I think you, you said something along those lines, like yeah, like well, being we, pigeonholed. Yeah. Yeah, we do people. The thing is, is as Muslims, we were an ummah. We were a, a community. We all we had groupthink, right? We all we all said and believed the exact same thing. But as ex-Muslims, we don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> we can have our own thoughts, and so we do have. Um, actually, all four of us, none of us will actually identify with any political side. All four of us say that it depends on the issue and then we'll decide what the how we feel about the issue and then if you want to pigeonhole that right or left or center or whatever that's fine and dandy but none of us are willing to to label ourselves anything oh except for armin i think he's okay with libertarian as being his identifier um but he'd still sort of have a little asterisk there and say but it depends on the on the issue all right. Well, uh, thank you for joining me today. And uh, any, if you have any final thoughts or other things you'd like to say, I don't know, that maybe anything we didn't cover. No, that was great. Thank you so much, Sean. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, to speak. And uh, hopefully we can change some minds together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, kind of like a, a no agenda show. I just kind of have people on that are uh, outside the box, I guess. And you're, you're an outside me. the box thinker. So. <laughs> That way, like, people who wouldn't usually listen to you will listen to you now. So that's a good awesome. thing. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, hopefully hopefully we'll both be able to get ourselves some new audience members. That's that's really the goal, right, is we want different – we don't want to just speak in our little echo chambers. We want to get yeah. our voices out there. Yeah, like, the, I, I think there's too much, like, like, echo chambers today. Like, people just listen to things that validate what they already believe. And, mm -hmm. like, I think there needs to be more engaging with people – uh, a different uh, opinions, I think. Totally. Amen. And uh, that about does it for this episode. If you want to keep updated with future episodes of BSing with Sean K, go to BSingWithSeanK.blogspot.com 
That's BSing with Sean K. Blogspot.com. And there's a link to my Twitter, my YouTube, my Facebook, and everything else. And uh, yeah, that's about it. I'll catch you on the next one.